Hey strangers, welcome to another episode of the Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and as always, Krista is with me, but she is not here with me today. Krista <laughs> is at home. Kurt's not here with me today. Oh, <laughs> Krista <laughs> is at home, and I am at home. Krista has been having back issues. Yeah, it's a real bummer. And you still have no idea what's really going on? No, not super clear. We think it's muscular, but I don't know. Nothing's really helping, and it's not getting better. So. Oh, and she's waiting to hear from her doctor. Yeah, who didn't call me back yesterday, by the way? <laughs> so now it's the weekend, so. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get a call. Probably not. But at least it's not getting worse. I, I feel true. better, and I don't have any other symptoms, so I don't think I have like an organ that's about to explode. So. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're doing this over Skype, and hopefully this is going to turn out okay. Krista's recording it on her end. I'm recording it on my end. Because, as you guys know, stuff with us doesn't always go as planned. <laughs> so we are going to see how this goes. So, of course, we're not going to be able to have a taste test. We did get a, a package sent from a listener, but we're going to have to open that next time. Which is going to be not the next time, because the next time is going to be um, a, side a side session. Because Krista's having surgery the day before. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Trust me. I know how it is. Uh but we could talk about the weather. It's nice out. Beautiful. <laughs> so I, uh, I, mean, I actually took off Monday, so oh, that's nice. nice. Yeah, yeah I, it's supposed I, to be almost 80. Oh, I don't like that. That's a little <laughs> too warm. But I have a personal day I had to use, so I decided yeah. to take it Monday because I don't have book clubs with the kids, so that should be perfect. Uh, you might hear Narnia in the background because she's prowling around trying to figure out what I'm doing here at the table. Nice. Uh, you might hear my refrigerator running in the background, so hopefully that's not too annoying. I don't I hear anything. No, so I, I had to turn good. off. I had to turn off uh, the auto sound adjusting because sometimes it would make me loud, and it, you know, it would change my volume while I was talking, which is kind of a pain in the butt when you're listening to it. Mm. So hopefully this sounds okay. We're gonna see. Uh, it's only one episode. <laughs> it is only one episode. So I want to give shout-outs to our newest strangers who have joined since the last episode, and that is Timothy Pearson, Sebastian Fontan, Fontan who is the one, I believe, that, that sent us the nice voice message. Oh, yeah. Yep. Chad Wyrick, Melissa Day Castanos, and Brittany Sills. Thank you so much for joining. I think somebody joined this morning, but I didn't get a chance to add them to the list yet. So thank you so much for joining the group, and it's always awesome to see like a new a new person that says they found us like searching on Spotify, and now they're binging like our old episodes and stuff. So it's just cool. So thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, welcome to our strange little family. Very strange little family. And <laughs> as we said, the next episode is going to be a side session that we recorded, I believe, last November. So that will be the next one, and then after that will be a new one, and I'm going to get into that when I do my the new segment, Kurt's Apology, at the start of the main story. So we'll get into that <laughs> a little bit later, but is there anything else new going on that we don't, now since we don't have a taste test to do or anything? I to... will say next week, or this coming week, is my final week for my math class, so then I will finally be done. Ooh, congratulations. I'm very excited. Thank congratulations. you. Congratulations. I'm coming out with an A, so I feel pretty good about that. That's awesome. That's better than I would get in a math class, that's for sure. <laughs> I never thought I'd get an A in a math class, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Good. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. 
I'm trying to think if I have anything new I don't. I believe I'm going to be on Transatlantic History Ramblings with Brian and Lauren tomorrow. We nice. are we are talking about personal experiences, so I think I'm going to talk about my stuff in my old apartment because that stuff was pretty crazy. Heck yeah, that's always uh, a winner. There's been stuff going on at the school. Like I'm another one of the, the teacher aides came to me and said that she's convinced now that there's something going on there because she's been hearing things and seeing things and uh, really yeah. And the kids have too. There was one day. Uh, two days ago, actually, I was up on the third floor and the door to the auditorium on the third floor that's usually locked was open. And two of the kids are really into ghost hunting. So they're like, just come, just stick your head in there with us. I, I, they're like, they're convinced something's in there. So we want to see what's in there. So I, you know, the three of us stuck our heads in. And then one of the, the little boy, uh, Braden said, is there anybody in here right now? And there was a weird sound from the stage that <laughs> we just all kind of looked at each other and like shut the door. And there's been stuff going on in the bathrooms. Uh, one of the girls, uh, one of my one of my kids, Maddie, she was in there one day and the lights were flickering and she said she said something about Michael Myers. She's like, "Are you in here, Michael Myers?" And after she said what? that, the, the lights went out. And then yesterday, other students were telling me that in the bathroom they saw what looked like a hat man, like oh, really? like up in the corner, like on the pipes, which is creepy. <laughs> so that's really creepy. Yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff going on there. So what are the odds that someone would let us investigate? The school? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Ah. You know, the, the kids all want they they want to do that this summer. They want us to all go there and investigate the school. And I said I don't think we can, but I might bring my I get there super early, so I might start bringing my digital recorder and just try for EVP when I get there in the morning and see what happens. But it's starting. Yeah. Out, there's stuff. I don't know. I'm starting to think that there might be stuff going on at that school. But other than well, that, I don't think I have anything else really new. Yep, me either. You know what's funny? I don't even know what that. You, you probably told me. No, I didn't. I didn't tell you. Oh, okay. I never did tell you, you what the episode. What the is. Yep, I did not tell you what the episode is about. Okay. Because okay, I guess we can just jump into the main story already. So we don't because we don't have a taste test. We can't open our package. But we're gonna start with Kurt's apology, which is our newest segment. <laughs> and what happened with this one is that Krista doesn't know this, but because we don't are not going to actually be recording the next episode, so I'm going to have a lot of time to research. So I wanted to do something that Krista and I, Krista and I have talked about doing for a while, and it's Krista might guess it from this. It's a story that she kind of buys, but I don't. And it's kind of centered like, it's a little bit centered in Wisconsin. Hmm. You mentioned it was some weird true crime. No, thing, what you? what this became is a true crime thing because oh. uh, I'm trying to give you more hints for what the next official episode. It'll be about college students. Oh, yes, smiley face killer. Yes, the smiley face killer. Uh, okay. I wanted to kind of tackle that, and I have since we're not since we don't have our new episode for like four weeks now. I'm going to have a lot of time to look into that, but because Stephanie, who is much loved by us and sent sent us all the missing 411 books yeah uh, dave politis's book uh missing 411 a sobering conclusion is mostly about the smiley the so-called smiley face killers and how it ties into missing 411 so that's what i think our next episode is going to be about smiley face killers slash missing 411 Ooh, I love it. And what I was going to do for this episode as a warm-up for that was to talk about the Wisconsin missing 411 cases. 
So I started working on that episode, and it turns out there's really not a ton of Wisconsin missing 411 <laughs> cases. That doesn't surprise me. No, so I was like, well, crap, this isn't enough to, to fill out a whole episode. So from there, I went into a bunch of spooky Wisconsin woods stories that I found like on Reddit and stuff, and then I got a couple of those, and then I just went into spooky stories about woods, stuff that has happened in the woods. And then I thought that was getting a little too much of a jumble of a bunch of different things, so I decided not to even do that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was last weekend, and now I'm like, crap, I have one week now to come up with an episode, and I don't know what I want to do. Because I didn't want to do the story, the woods stories episode because we've done a lot of stories episodes lately so i was like i had no idea what to do and then i was looking up some of these stories about weird things that happen in woods or forests or parks and i somehow ended up on a subreddit about people that disappeared or died mysteriously and i found this one and i was reading this and i'm like this would be perfect because you and i do true crime stories if there's something a little odd about it yeah and i think that this one is just i i don't think this one isn't as mysterious as the guy that went missing in texas and turned up in washington this one's not really mysterious but this one is just like fascinating and like so many of the comments on reddit are like this needs to be a movie because this is crazy so that's why i decided to do this one and then i realized that a lot of our true crime ones end up being on skype for some reason so <laughs> I don't know. That is weird. It's like a weird curse that if we're going to do a, a true crime one, it always ends up being on Skype. But basically, this story is a true crime story with a lot of rabbit holes, and it's just bizarre. And it is about the death of a woman named Laura. I think it's Snedeger. S-N-E-D-E-G-A-R. Snedeger. Snedeger. Right. Laura. L-O-R-A. Laura Snedeger. Oh, I've never heard it spelled that way, Laura. L-O-R-A. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I started reading this on Reddit, and I just kept reading it, and I'm like, holy cow. Like, this like could be a movie. Like, this is just crazy. So, we're going to jump into that right now, since we don't have any taste tests or package openings to do. So, most of this comes from a the Reddit post, and I didn't put the... I didn't, get the person's name that wrote it but it was a long post about the story and it comes from a story in the march 26 1994 copy of the orlando sentinel newspaper in an article called a family's legacy power greed and death so like i said this Very one intriguing. this this one is fascinating so tuck yourselves in because this says yeah this has this one goes this one goes in a lot of different directions and it's nuts so here we go is it a head scratcher it is a head scratcher because I don't, I don't know I don't know what I think I don't I don't know who I think ultimately killed killed Laura okay but there's just a lot of other stuff here so get ready you know grab a sandwich grab a beer tuck yourself <laughs> in and listen to the story about Laura Snedeker so here we go the story starts on April 15th 1982 in Arlington, Indiana, a farmhand named Phil Bennett was out plowing his cornfield when he saw something laying on the ground a few rows down. He thought it was a dead deer, so he got out of his tractor to go move it. What he instead found were the decomposing remains of 22-year-old Laura Snedeger, a woman who had been missing for eight months. Laura was found laying on her back in the cornfield. 
She was wearing a long, white men's t-shirt, a pair of cut-off jean shorts, and several pieces of jewelry. Because she had been pretty badly decomposed by this time, Laura's family identified her by her clothing and jewelry, but her identity would later be confirmed using dental records. Several shell casings were collected at the scene, and it was determined that she had been shot multiple times in the head by a 25 caliber revolver. Uh, most of the stuff, other stuff I looked at said she was shot three times in the head. The police stated that she was most likely killed in the location she was found, but the owner of the farm was 100% certain that the body had not been there when they had gathered the crops in October. Which makes sense, because if it had been there, someone would have seen it or run it over with the tractor. You know, and I'm guessing, right, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a farmer, but I'm guessing it would kind of ruin your day if you're out there in the morning on your tractor and you run over a decomposing body. I can't imagine. Uh, and I don't, I'm assuming that even if you have a farm in winter in Indiana, you're still going to be like seeing your fields and you're still going to be, you know, you're going you're gonna to notice a dead body laying in the cornfield. So. But all yeah. of the articles I said use the words adamant, that he was adamant that sh- this body was not there in October, hmm. you know, and he found it in April. And, you know, that kind of comes into play, like when this happened, when she ended up there. But they found, like I said, several uh, shell casings around the body, and it's, it looked like she was shot three times in the head by a 25 caliber revolver. So a few days later, Laura's remains were buried in Chillicothe, Ohio, just a few miles away from where she had been born. Attending the funeral, of course, were Laura's father, Steve Snedeker, and her mother, Trudy Snedeker. And these people become major characters in this story, so remember them. Her dad, Steve, and her mother, Trudy, or Gertrude, but she usually goes by Trudy. Steve had made enemies in the early 1970s when he was on the run from the FBI, and then again during his quick rise in the waste oil business, and a third time when he was apparently running some cloak-and-dagger venture with Cuban dictator Fidel Castro that he never seemed to want to talk about much. So he had some stuff going on there in his past. I'll say. Yeah, so he was involved in a tractor theft ring, which... I had never heard of a tractor <laughs> theft ring before, but okay. you know, apparently, I don't know if That's you're going to, I don't know if you're going to be doing any high-speed getaways from the cops in a tractor, but he was <laughs> deeply involved in a tractor theft ring. And then after Steve was finally caught in Houston by the FBI, the FBI dropped its charges against him, and nobody really knows why. So, hmm. yeah, adding a little mystery to that. So Laura's parents, Steve and Trudy, had moved from Greenfield, Indiana, to Astor, 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 I don't know how you pronounce it, Astor, A-S-T-O-R, Astor? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Steve and Trudy had moved from Greenfield, Indiana, to Astor, Florida, in June of 1981, after selling their waste oil business. And I was, I was going to look this up, but I totally forgot. I'm assuming waste oil business... Like, when I worked at the factory, we had waste oil from the machines, and I believe we sent it out to somebody that would clean out the waste from it, and then it would be reused as oil. I think that's yeah. what it is. I think so, too. Uh, so, they moved to Florida after they sold their waste oil business. Laura stayed behind in Greenfield, living in her parents' house that summer after they moved away. Laura had been married to a man named Bryce Morris, and the two of them had a three-year-old daughter named Brandy. They had gotten divorced earlier in the year, but by all accounts, they were still like on really good terms with each other after the divorce, and they were sharing custody of Brandy. 
So on August 10th, Laura's mom, Trudy, flew from her Florida home for a visit with Laura and some of her other daughters. I believe she had three other daughters. But one daughter that we'll hear about is Brenda. So she flew in for a visit with Laura and some of the other daughters, including Brenda Chalice and her son-in-law, Dan Chalice, who lived in southern Indianapolis, Indiana. Investigators believe the visit may have been an attempt to stop Laura from reconciling with her ex-husband, whom Stephen and Trudy greatly disliked. Trudy landed at the Indianapolis International Airport, where her two daughters picked her up. After spending the day together, Laura and Trudy left Brenda's, and they headed back to the family's home in Greenville together. Laura's daughter, Brandy, at this time, was staying with her dad, Bryce. And like I said, they got her and her ex-husband seemed to get along okay, so he's kind of not really a suspect in this. Mm-hmm. Once they got back to the house, Trudy decided to call it a night, and she went to the master bedroom while Laura slept on the couch in her underwear and a men's white t-shirt watching television. That was the last time anyone would see Laura alive. The following morning, August 11th, Trudy woke up around 6.30 in the morning, made her way downstairs, and she found that the side patio door was open and the television was still on. Laura's keys and wallets were still laying inside, but her bed was still made in the bedroom and her car was still in the driveway, but she was nowhere to be found. Trudy started calling various friends and relatives, as well as the local hospital, but nobody had seen Laura. Finally, at 1.30 in the afternoon, Trudy called the police to report her daughter missing. The police showed up, but they didn't really find anything out of the ordinary at the house. There weren't any signs of a struggle or anything, and the only indication that her disappearance was uh, some kind of foul play was the fact that she hadn't really taken any of her personal belongings with her. I believe Mm -hmm. her purse and stuff were still there, her keys, her wallet... So the police checked out Laura's phone records and discovered that she placed two phone calls that evening, both to her ex-husband, Bryce. The first call was around 11 o'clock p.m., and the second call was just shortly before midnight. So she called her ex-husband twice for something, uh, both of them before midnight. Later that day, police and volunteers searched the nearby woods, fields, and creeks for Laura, but they found absolutely nothing. Laura was just gone, and no idea where she went. But like I said, the the door was open, the patio door was open, so it looked like she had just somebody had just come in and abducted her. But so didn't they said that when she went, when they went to bed or whoever, that she was in underwear. Exactly. That is that okay. is just what I was gonna That's say. Gonna is that <laughs> yes, that is gonna come up. Is that she went to bed the last time her mom saw her, she had underwear on and a men's t-shirt. When she was found in the field, she had she a white t-shirt on, but she had jean shorts on. So that's another puzzle piece in this whole thing. So they went out searching for her. Nobody could find her, and she was just gone. The following day, just one day after Laura's disappearance, the phone rang at the house, and Trudy picked it up. When she answered, a raspy male voice said to Trudy, quote, we're going to get you, sucker, and then hung up. What? Trudy called the police to report the call, and the police came to the house with recording equipment just in case they got any more phone calls. The next day, on August 13th, the phone rang, and when Trudy picked it up, a female voice was on the other end, crying and saying sexually explicit things for around 10 seconds, and then the call cut off. And I I looked everywhere I could to find out what this thing is with the sexually explicit things. Like, and crying at the yeah, same time. Yeah, a female voice was on the other end crying and saying sexually explicit things for around 10 seconds before the call ended. That call was recorded. Trudy, Steve, and Laura's ex-husband, Bryce, all agreed that the sobbing woman is Laura, but it was never proven. 
Mm. So that's weird. Very weird. Uh, and I just I'm trying to find what they what they mean by sexually explicit things. Was she swearing? Was she talking dirty? Like I don't know. It's just but weird. Being made to do it. Uh, yeah, I I I don't know. So at this time, Laura's dad, Steve, went to the police station there, walked into the sheriff's desk, and dumped $10,000 out of a case onto the desk. He told the sheriff that he knew his daughter was dead, and he wanted them to find her body and the person that did it, and that he said he would go to, quote, any means necessary to find out what had happened to his daughter. So he gave Wait, them... Wait, how long was this after the phone call, though? Uh, it, it didn't say, it just said around, like, maybe okay. the day after the phone call. He went there, dumped a bag of $10,000 on the sheriff's desk, and was like, use this, do what you have to do to find her body and figure out who did this, and that he told the sheriff that he would go to, quote, any means necessary to find out what had happened to his daughter. That seems weird to me. They just heard a voice the day before that they thought was her, and now he thinks she's dead. Yeah. Like, they just had proof that she's alive. Yeah. Yep. Weird. Uh, yeah, okay. so uh, there's a lot of weirdness in here. <laughs> like I said, I don't know ultimately what what I think happened. So now, back when Steve was trying to sell his waste oil business, a businessman from Carmel, Indiana named Paul Anthony Lambert, who went by the name Tony, had attempted to buy the family's oil business, but Tony's financing fell through and apparently harsh words had been exchanged between Tony and Steve, Laura's dad. Three weeks after Laura's disappearance, Steve started wondering if Tony had something to do with her disappearance, so he called Tony on the pretense of making amends and said that he still wanted to do business with him, so he arranged for a meeting with Tony in New Orleans. Tony and Steve met up in New Orleans for the supposed business meeting. Steve later said that when the two men met up, he questioned Tony about Laura's disappearance, but he said that Tony claimed to have no knowledge about what happened to her or where she was. Steve said that he believed him, and Steve said that he last saw Tony driving away in a car with an unknown blonde woman. That is the last time Tony Lambert was ever seen. He disappeared, and no trace of him has ever been found. However, rumors started to swirl, and there were chatter from friends and family, and some even said that Steve told them this in secrecy, that Steve was a private pilot, and he had flown to New Orleans by himself that day, and they said that he took Tony on a, quote, sightseeing tour of the Gulf, but that after the tour was over, when Steve landed, Steve was the only one who got out of the airplane. Okay. So there's. Maybe like open the door and shut. I don't know. Off. That's what I'm thinking too. I'm like, how easy is it to shove someone out of an airplane? I have no idea. You know, like when you're up there, if you'd maybe drugged him first and then pushed his sleeping body out of the plane, but I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But that's you know, like that's the last time anybody saw Tony was after the quote business meeting in New Orleans. Sleeping with the fish. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> then in March of nineteen eighty two, just two weeks before Laura's body was discovered in the cornfield, something else weird happened. Twenty two year old Charles Darwin Smith, known as Chuck, had worked as a truck driver for JNS Oil, which was the Snedeger family business. At this point his employment there had been ended for some reason that we really don't know. It sounds like he was fired for something. Chuck had gotten a job at a service station in Greenfield, and he got in touch with Trudy, Laura's mom, to tell her that he had a weird encounter with Laura the day before she disappeared. 
He told her that Laura came into the service station where he worked all the time, but on the day of August 9th, she had come into the store in the company of a, quote, tattooed, scraggly-haired man that he had never seen before. And Chuck said that Laura looked scared, and it looked like this guy didn't want Laura to do any talking. Then, Trudy asked Chuck to keep this information a secret. Chuck decided to tell the police anyway. He was given a lie detector test that he passed. A short time after that, Chuck quit his job at the service station. Trudy went to the police station asking if she could get Chuck's phone number because she had a job opportunity for him, so the police gave her the number. Uh, yeah. From the awesome write-up on this case, there's a, there's a blog called I Did It For Jody, and there's a write-up on this case called Who's Your Killer, Laura Morris?, and it's like the article is like really snarky and it's 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 funny but it's it's a little a little too snarky sometimes mm. but according to that article it says quote according to police sergeant munden at this time trudy snediger became frantic to obtain chuck's unlisted phone number claiming that she had a job opportunity for him the second time Trudy stopped at the station to badger Munden for the information, the sergeant gave in to her demands, sealing Chuck's fate and providing us with his true crime quote of the day from the Orlando Sentinel, which says that Hancock Sheriff's Department John Munden says, quote, dumbass me gives the number out. <laughs> so, okay. he, so he gave Trudy the phone number. Okay. A few days later, Chuck receives a phone call from a man who calls himself John Rogers, owner of the John Rogers Trucking Company in Knoxville, Tennessee. Rogers says that he received Chuck's contact information from Steve Snediger, and he was calling to offer Chuck a well-paying job and a complimentary bus ticket to Tennessee. Chuck took the job. On March 28th, Chuck's father-in-law dropped him off at the bus depot, and that is the last time anyone ever saw Chuck Smith. So now Chuck's wow. so now Chuck's gone. Chuck is the one that yeah. saw her with this scraggly tattooed man. At the okay. Yeah, so now Chuck's gone. So stuff starts getting sketchy, as you can see. I'll say. Investigators later learned that the company, John Rogers Trucking Company, did not exist. Steve Snediger was questioned, but he denied having any knowledge of the trucking company or of Chuck's whereabouts. Investigators also noticed that the man selling tickets at the train and bus depot was named John Rogers and theorized that whoever was responsible for Chuck's disappearance read the ticket seller's name while he was on the phone offering Chuck the job. Does that make sense? Mm. Like whoever called him is there at the, at the bus station and is is trying to come up with a name for a trucking company. So And he sees oh, that somebody's name takes as John Rogers, so he calls it the John Rogers Trucking Company. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. The so, plot thickens. Yeah. So the family took polygraphs to eliminate family members from suspicion, but they all paid for their own lie detector tests instead of using a police pol uh, 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 instead of using a police lie detector test. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know. I don't like if they pay for their own lie detector tests, is it easier to fake? But everybody in the Snedeker family took lie detector tests, and it sounds like they passed. I know that they say lie detector tests aren't supposed to be really used in court or whatever, but I still think it would be hard to to pass one if you were lying. Like I think that takes special knowledge and training. Yeah. Yep. But they all passed, and you know, like I said, some of this weird stuff is happening. The the guy that he went on the plane ride with 
no longer around. Nobody knows what happened to him. Mm. This other, and that's with the dad. And then this other guy that saw the tattooed, scraggly-haired man. The mom called, or the mom went to get his information from the police because she had a job lead. He took the job, ended up disappearing. Mm. So, so Tony and Chuck. Yep, Tony and Chuck are gone. Okay. Now we fast forward to three years after Laura's body was found. Another Indiana businessman named Tony McAuliffe, who was at one time the business partner of the missing person and former prospective buyer of the oil company, Tony Lambert, received a phone call from a man named Gary Stafford. So this was Tony that apparently fell out of the plane. This was his business partner. So he got a phone call from a man named Gary Stafford. Gary told McAuliffe that he was a hitman and that he had accepted $5,000 to kill him from a man in Florida that was seeking to avenge his daughter's death. He told McCullough that he was going to receive $20,000 upon finishing the job, but if McCullough gave him $10,000 cash, he would let him live. Uh, McCullough immediately contacted the police, and Gary was arrested for extortion and sentenced to two years in prison. Gary refused to identify the man who had hired him, and even though the police investigated him, Gary was never found to have any sort of connection to Steve Snedeker. Hmm. So there's that, too. And right around this time, a man named James Wilkes, who was Steve's right-hand man at his oil business, disappeared and has never been seen again. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a whole lot of people disappearing. At some point, a long-haul truck driver was certain that he'd given a ride to a hitchhiking Laura Morris, but that sighting was discounted by her family. Then, in 1983, Trudy and Stephen divorced for unknown reasons, yet they remained living together at their home in Astor, Florida. So, they got divorced, but they're still living together. Okay. In the summer of 1986, Trudy's other daughter, Brenda, came to visit her parents in Florida. On that visit, Trudy confided in Brenda that for five nights in a row, she had awoken to find Steve pointing a gun at her head and threatening to pull the trigger. The night after Trudy tells this to Brenda, Steve offers to take Trudy out dancing at a nearby country western bar. Trudy agrees, and the pair head out. That was the last time anyone has seen Trudy, Snedeker. So Trudy, yeah, Trudy's gone. When Brenda asked Steve the next day about where Trudy was, he told her that he and Trudy got into a fight that night at the country western bar, and that she told him she was leaving him that night and moving to Tallahassee. Sure. According to Brenda, the very next day, Steve came to see her and he was crying and he asked her to come outside, which she did. Brenda said that he opened the trunk of Mercedes and that the trunk was completely filled with money. Brenda said that he told her it was over a million dollars cash and in the event that he was arrested, she was supposed to retrieve the cash from the trunk. The cash that was in the trunk has never been found and Steve denies Brenda's story. So it's just getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> I told you, this one is weird. How did this many people go missing? That's what I don't get. I don't know. And then, tr- and then Trudy was not reported missing for almost a year after her disappearance. What? Yeah, Trudy was not reported as missing for almost a year after her disappearance. That's weird, though. Like, nobody else noticed that she was gone? Apparently not. Like, her own kids? Apparently not, because she was not reported for she was not reported missing for almost a year after she disappeared. Very bizarre. Police discovered that Trudy had left her purse containing her money and credit cards at home on the night of her disappearance and had never retrieved it. They officially filed a missing persons report, but no trace of Trudy has ever been found. In nineteen eighty nine, police learned that Steve Snedeker was dying of cancer. 
They once again approached him with questions about Laura, Tony, Chuck, McCullough, James Wilkes, and Trudy. He claimed that before his death, he would leave a tell-all confession behind. The following year, in 1990, Steve died from cancer. Police found no confession letter, but they discovered that only days before his death, there was a large bonfire spotted in Steve's yard, and people report seeing burning paper around the bonfire. Police do not believe that this was a coincidence. Like he was burning a bunch of evidence. Like he's burning, like maybe he did do it like a tell-all confession about what mm-hmm. all happened, but he decided to burn it. Okay. While cleaning out their father's home in Florida, the Snedeker children, four in total, including Laura and Brenda, discovered a map tucked inside the guest book from Laura's funeral. The map showed a red X marked on a wait, spot. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say Laura was helping clean? No, that was four daughters. They had oh, okay. they had four children in total, including Laura and Brenda. So, oh, gotcha. okay, so there were three. Me. The three other Snedeker children were helping clean because Laura's. Okay dead but while they were doing while they were cleaning out uh, steve's house they found a map that was tucked inside the guest book from laura's funeral the map had a red x that marked a spot on the snedeker property in florida the map was turned over to law enforcement the spot showed a part of their property that had been paved over with a patio and rumors began circulating that there were at least one body two maybe three underneath the concrete they excavated the area that the map showed in the hopes that they would find something, but where the X was on the map, underneath that, that slab of concrete, there was absolutely nothing. Oh, then, Maybe it was just like, hey, I'm going to put a patio here. I don't know. <laughs> but then why was it tucked into the funeral uh, yeah, guest book? Weird. You know, did somebody that was at the funeral have an idea where they might find a body and they tucked that under there to have Tried the police to look to look underneath the patio? Yeah, that's weird. Then, in 1994, a family friend of Trudy's named Bill Estes came forward claiming that at the behest of Trudy, he had placed a black box inside of Laura's casket on the day of her funeral. He said that the black box contained a letter from Trudy as well as several pictures. Hoping that the letter would hold some kind of clues, Laura's body was exhumed and the small black jewelry box was located inside the coffin. However, what was written on the letters was never released publicly as police claimed that it had nothing to do with the case and the pictures that they described as being water damaged. But I don't know if that's water damage or is that like decomposing body damage? Yeah. Yeah. But the police said that the photos were water damaged and they were simply family photos. So they dug her up and there's newspaper articles for nothing. There's there's newspaper articles you can find where they talk about that they're excited because they think that this is going to be some kind of clue as to what happened. Mm -hmm. And there was so they dug up Laura and there was absolutely nothing in this box in this letter that that could help with anything. Wow. Yeah. According to the Greenfield Daily Reporter on October 18th, 1994, uh, Hancock County Detective Donnie Munden said, quote, We can say at this time that the letter was written by Laura Morris's mother, Trudy Snedeker. It is in her handwriting and discusses more than one subject. The box also contained three photographs, but that's all that they said. Hmm. And according to police, it was also discovered in 1994 that Trudy carried the same type of gun that was used to kill Laura in her purse. But soon after Laura's disappearance, Trudy's gun disappeared. Investigators later heard rumors that a few days after Trudy's disappearance, Steve and an associate, who apparently was Dexter Morgan, were seen taking something wrapped in plastic out on Mm. a boat into the 
Oklawaha River a few days later. Interesting. So the murder of Laura Lynn Morris and the disappearances of Trudy Snedeker, Tony Lambert, Chuck Smith, and James Wilkes all remain unsolved to this day. Wow. So, so basically, what the hell happened? I mean, do you feel like Steve is behind this? Whole thing? I don't know. Uh, there are many theories as to what happened. Some people talk about Steve's time as a supposed drug runner for Fidel Castro. Others talk about him being on the run from the FBI, as well as his part in a tractor theft ring, and that he was somehow involved in the death of a deputy sheriff in Ohio in the 70s. Oh he was arrested for the crimes in Houston, but for unknown reasons he was never charged. Uh, yet another theory claims that he made some big enemies during his time as an oil man. However, the most widely accepted theory seems to be that during an argument, Trudy shot Laura. According to police, it was discovered in 1994 that Trudy carried the same type of gun that was used to kill Laura. But then after Laura died, her gun disappeared. And it's believed that the men who went missing, Tony, Chuck, James, were killed by Stephen in an attempt to avenge his daughter. Other people theorize that the police were in on it. And there's been some sketchy stuff with that police department there. Somebody had said something that there was like a... a a five-way sex videotape that surfaced involving people from that police department. But how that leads to all this, I don't know. You know, and and, it, and people, they, yeah, he, they were asked what they did with the $10,000 that was dumped on that Sheriff Munden's mm. desk. And mm -hmm. he was interviewed as saying, quote, we used a lot of that money to watch Steve. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I I mean, I don't, I, I don't like know. All the people who went missing were somehow it's it all revolved around Steve. Yeah, like one of the theories, and this one, this is the only like the uh, people. A lot of people think Trudy killed. A lot of people said that Trudy did not want Laura to get back with her ex-husband Bryce, and that those phone calls that night were because they were thinking about getting back together. And then people think that Trudy got mad about that and killed Laura. You think she'd want to kill the ex-husband, not her own daughter. But then if if Trudy killed Laura that night and it was like a spur-of-the-moment thing, wouldn't you think that she would have killed her there at the house instead of in the field where they found the, the shell casings? Yeah, crime of passion usually happens in the moment. Yeah. Right? And who was this scruffy-haired, tattooed guy? You know, the, like, people say that the one plausible theory for all this is that Trudy wanted Laura dead. So Trudy hired this long-haired, or this scruffy-haired tattooed guy to come to the house, abduct Laura and Trudy's gun to kill her with. But then it doesn't explain why she had her jean shorts on. You know, if this guy is going to come into the house and then take her to kill her, she was in her underwear. Is he going to let her put her jean shorts on? Right. But is, all, is Trudy also being honest that she was in her underwear? You know, it's very plausible that uh, Steve just took Trudy's gun out of her purse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so one of the big theories, and this one is the one I kind of buy, Trudy wanted Laura dead because she didn't want Laura getting back with her ex-husband. So she hired the tattooed, scruffy-haired guy to come to the house, take Laura to the cornfield, to kill her in the cornfield, and then Trudy 
started telling Steve that she suspected all these other people and Steve wanted vengeance for for Laura's death so Steve started killing all these other people and then finally Steve realized or found out that Trudy was the one that was involved with Laura's death so then he killed Trudy I just don't follow the logic of a mom who cares about her child so much that she doesn't want her to get back with her ex-husband, so she murders her. <laughs> exactly. That's, exactly. There's no logic in that. So I have all these questions here. Who killed Laura? Was it Trudy? And if it was, who was the tattooed, scruffy-haired man? And what about the phone calls to the house? They, yeah, I'm not they, buying that, that it was Trudy unless there's something else going on that we have yeah, no knowledge of. And people speculate that Trudy arranged for those phone calls to the house in order to throw suspicion off of her. Because if she, if there's a recording of her getting these phone calls, then the suspicion isn't on her as being the one who had a part in Laura's death. Mm-hmm. You know, so was this whole thing a ruse by Trudy? Was it a ruse by Steve? Was it a ruse by both Steve and Trudy? And if the female caller was Laura and she wasn't dead, where was she? Hmm. You know, and if Steve, I still go back to Steve. If Steve knew about Trudy killing Laura from the start, if she did, why did all these other people disappear? You know, and right. and what was up with the the trunk full of money that disappeared? What was up with the treasure map? You know, so there's just so much stuff here. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. It's weird you said that because I am. Here's some quotes from the Reddit story about it the first person writes wow there is a lot to unpack here (laughs) for starters i don't believe that trudy shot laura despite having a pistol that matched the bullet caliber that killed laura reason being that once trudy had received the first ominous call the police set up a recording device on the phone and then the next day they received the call that they believed to be laura it just doesn't add up unless she hired someone to kidnap and kill laura Somebody else comments and says, I think the key lies in the farmer's assurance that the body was not there in October, but police believe she was killed there. Like you said, the farmer 100% would have noticed. So when exactly was she killed and where was she in between? Was she lured out of the house? It would explain why she put the shorts on, but then she didn't take any of her belongings. You know, somebody said, was she lured out of the house by her ex and was he the one that killed her? Or was somebody threatened to help somebody, or was somebody threatened to help somebody kill her? I don't know. The it pers- is odd that she called him twice that yeah. same yep. day. But it sounds like they were on good terms. So yeah, yeah. And then this person says, was she held kidnapped for any reason? The family had money, so was she held for ransom? If the family had the opportunity to save her, but it went wrong, that might be why Steve felt so much guilt and he started taking revenge on other people. Somebody else says, I think Steve killed him, but Trudy was responsible. Laura is the person that Trudy killed on her own and the only one whose body was found. I think that if Trudy had killed Chuck, she would have failed to fully dispose of the body. It seems more likely that Trudy convinced Steve that Chuck was responsible than let Steve do the dirty work, knowing that Chuck would never be found, and that what Chuck knew about Trudy's involvement in this was less likely to be tracked by Steve than the police. This would explain why the body was not found. Steve clearly knew how to dispose of bodies. Hmm. Somebody else writes, The hell are the police doing giving out personal information of a possible witness in a murder case to the mother of the murder victim? If Chuck had previously worked for Steve, wouldn't Steve have had his contact info or at least knew someone who could get word to Chuck that his wife had a job for him? Why did she have to go to the police? Yeah, that's odd. Somebody else writes, 
If I woke up to an ex-husband pointing a gun at my head one night, never mind five nights in a row, I would run for the hills while contacting the police. Going out line dancing with him would be the last thing on my mind. <laughs> line dance. <laughs> somebody, else, somebody else says, at the very least, I don't see how she could have shot her following an argument. How did she clean that up? It's one thing when you're an unknown assailant who plans an attack, but a member of the victim's family who apparently is just flying into a rage? That would be a fairly easy case to solve, especially since she was reported missing pretty quickly. Somebody else says, wow, bodies are dropping like flies around this guy. Either he's the most unlucky man in the world or he's a serial killer. I think the only, <laughs> right. question, I think the only question now is whether Laura's death was the switch that turned Steve into a psychopathic killer or if Steve killed Laura as well. Somebody else says the idea that Trudy murdered her daughter and frightened the rest of her adult children into silence strikes me as a huge stretch given the evidence. She once owned a gun of the same caliber as the one that killed her daughter, and she likely was murdered by her husband. I find it more likely that a violent man accustomed to making people disappear and getting away with it decided to murder his wife for personal unrelated reasons and then did so. Mm. And then somebody else says this crap is crazy. They need to make a movie out of this. Totally. Like a Fargo style. Yeah, movie. that's what it's kind of like. It's like a Fargo. So that's what I have. I mean, wow. I I don't know. I Like, pictures of Trudy, you're going to see pictures in the promo picture, you know. But, like, Trudy doesn't look like somebody murdering that's mother. a murdering mother. No. But... But, I feel like what we're lacking in this whole thing is motive. What there was nobody had any motive. No, but like you said, she doesn't want her to get back with her ex-husband, so she kills her. Like her, she kills her own. Sense. She kills her. She hires the tattooed, scraggly-haired guy to kill her daughter. Right. But you'd hire the scraggly-haired, tattooed guy to kill the ex-husband. Exactly. And Steve is Maybe like he was just real dumb and got the wrong person. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, and, and that's the thing is that. If if you're hiring this dude to kill your daughter, you're going to have him come to the house and kill her in the middle of the night. You're not going to have him hang out with her at the local mini-mart like Jay and Silent Bob. Right. You know, where, where, everyone where, where everyone's going to see them. So... Maybe she was getting into some weird shady stuff. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just... Like I said, I can't see... I can't see Steve or Trudy being responsible for Laura's death, but I feel like one of them has to be. And I don't think it's Steve because it sounds like Steve was genuinely upset and wanted to figure out. And if he was if he was that upset that he wanted to figure out who killed his daughter, that he was killing people who he thought killed her. I think one thing that strikes me as really weird and shady is that they got a phone call that they believed to be from her. Yeah. And shortly after, he says, I'm convinced she's dead. Here's money. Yeah. Why would you be convinced she's dead if you just had a phone call that's not like her? I don't know. I don't know exactly the time frame of when that statement was made to the call, but the article just said, like, shortly after. But the fact fact that that Trudy, Steve, and Bryce, her ex-husband, all identified the voice as being Laura... But then the question right. is, where was she? If they, if, if Trudy hired this guy to kill her, why was she not killed? And why was she making sexually suggestive phone calls? It didn't sound like they were hard up for money. So cause no. you could see, like, let's let's do, like, a ransom type thing and we'll all split the money in the end. But it didn't sound like they needed money. No. If he had a trunk full of, of a million dollars yeah. mm-hmm. that disappeared, that uh, some people theorize that he was dating, like, a 
another girl at that time and that she's the one that took the trunk full of money mm. you know and my my feelings on far-fetched. my feelings on the map are that it was somebody that went to the funeral that wanted the police to look under the patio that steve and trudy put down thinking that some of these people that disappeared were under there yeah, maybe just a hunch. Like, yeah. hey, you should look here. Yeah. Because it's like a newly laid patio, but yeah, that didn't turn up any evidence. So I, I don't know. Nothing quite fits. It's no. one of those stories no. where nobody quite fits the, the profile. Nobody quite has a motive that no. we can No, and it's really weird. It's out. weird that considering Laura is the one person that died, like, the, the really weird stuff isn't even heard like that. It's like the stuff that all is, like, circled around this whole thing. Yeah. Totally. You know, like like five or I think it's five, but five or six people have died or have disappeared. Right. Due to this. You know, and like what happened to, to Chuck, the guy that, you know, his dad dropped him off at the bus station for to go to the new trucking company for his job. And then he just disappeared. Who killed him? Right. And why? Yeah. You know, and I don't think that it could have been. I don't know who made that phone call. Uh, to offer Chuck the job because it was a male, so could that have been, you know, did if Trudy killed Laura, did she convince Steve that Chuck was involved in her death? I don't know. Like Chuck, mm-hmm. the, like Chuck dying, almost points to Trudy having something to do with it because Trudy's the one that went to get his contact information. Right. Yeah, that's weird. Because she did not want people to investigate her being with this scruffy-haired guy that Chuck saw. So Trudy almost uh, has to be involved. So, But then if Trudy hired this scruffy-haired guy to kill, why was it done so sloppy? Right. But, but I mean, like, I, I picture someone like a hitman, like a professional hitman, probably doesn't look like that guy. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. That's just some local lowlife that she found and. <laughs> It's like, hey, you want to make some extra money? So, I don't. What do you think? I mean, what's what's your theory on all this? I mean, do you think this one is like crazy weird? Well, totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like all these disappearances could be related, or it could be just a series of really strange coincidences. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, I, I can't pinpoint anything because I feel like there's no motive from any direction. No. But I feel like Steve obviously killed some of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the one so... guy who got in the plane with him, for sure. And Trudy, that's weird. Like, they go to a, a whatever, a line dancing club one night, and then she's never seen again, and he doesn't report her missing for a year. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. You know, maybe for him, like, killing someone was, like, eating sushi for the first time where you're like i don't know if i like this but then you start to like it i don't know and the wasabi hits you and you're like i need more (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. exactly i mean to me the only thing that makes sense is that trudy hired the scruffy haired guy to kill laura and she was convincing steve that it was all these other people so steve was killing them and then steve realized it was trudy so he killed her took her out on the boat dexter style dumped her in the river Maybe or or because maybe. The, the fact that Steve said that he would do a tell all confession no shows that he knows more, mm-hmm. you know, well, it makes me wonder because of his shady past, maybe somebody from his past is like, this is revenge for something that happened a long time ago. You know what I mean? Like somebody came and took his daughter and yeah. then they're like, let's let's try to pin this on the family. Let's start making people disappear around the family. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, 
but we have no knowledge of anything like that so it's just speculation yeah i mean i i don't know so i just don't know that's a head scratcher it is a head it is one of our true crime head scratchers uh yeah but i feel i just i can't i feel like trudy's involved in it but i can't wrap my head around her wanting her daughter murdering her own daughter at least not over an ex-husband. If if there were some other motive, we're not aware of it, though. Yeah. And it's like, and then, you know, she, like the, the, that one commenter said, you know, she woke up five nights in a row to Steve pointing a gun at her head saying he was going to kill her. And then she went out to the Country Western bar with him the next night and disappeared. Who? So who did she tell that Steve had done that? Brenda, her, her other daughter. Okay, her daughter. Yeah. And but, Brenda was the one who saw the money in the trunk, too, right? Yes. But then Brenda also was one of the ones that didn't report Trudy missing for a year after she was gone. So weird. That's really weird. Yeah, I mean, I that's why some people say that they uh, she was that the family was so frightened of Trudy that they stayed silent about her her being missing. Hmm. I don't it's know. just so strange. Like, if I text my mom and she goes longer than an hour without getting back to me, I'm like, <laughs> exactly. oh my god, what happened? Exactly. I'm freaking out. <laughs> exactly. And none of these other people knew that she was missing. Weird. But again, this is one where uh, I looked. I saw you see pictures, like old '80s pictures of the family and stuff, and it's just that's one of those things that just makes this real instead of just a weird mystery. You know, yeah. like like seeing pictures of Laura and seeing pictures of Trudy, and it's like, what happened to this family? What happened to these people? Yeah. You Something know, went like wrong. what, like <laughs> Chuck's family never knew what happened to him. You know, there's no trace of him. That's I, a collateral I, damage. That's I, I do think Steve pushed the other guy out of the airplane, but I just don't know the how that works. Like, if you're if you're up flying a plane, are you gonna be able to fight with another guy to push him out of the plane? I feel like it's not like driving a car, right? Like if you're up in the air and you're everything's stable, I think you can step away from the the controls for a second, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know either. We're not going to test that out. <laughs> nah. Don't, I don't know. Maybe if we have, a, you know, a, a pilot who listens. They can, <laughs> yeah, they can <laughs> try that. But it's really suspicious that witnesses saw this guy get on a plane with him, and when he came back, he was gone. <laughs> exactly. Like, it was just it was just Steve. The other guy was gone. But uh, wouldn't his body have turned up at some point, you would think, if he pushed him out of the plane? Unless he pushed him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, yeah that is that is the the, crazy. the story of the murder of Laura Snedeker and the crazy whirlwind that went on around it. That's nuts. Yeah, and there is a podcast called the Down and Away Podcast that I believe deals with true crime, and they did a 15 part series on this. Oh mis- wow! Yeah, this mystery deep dive, and it was it was with uh, Brenda, but I don't I don't believe it was. Uh, Trudy's daughter Brenda I think it was either I think it might have been Laura's granddaughter okay I believe it was Laura's granddaughter that did the, the that is on this podcast with this other podcaster it's the down and away podcast if you're into this this story you can go check out the down and away podcast because they have a 15 part podcast wow. yeah so there's a lot there's a like you said there's a lot to unpack in this one there's a yeah. lot of a lot of deaths, a lot of disappearances. Mm, crazy. So there you go. That's Hof- a movie. You're right. They need to make a yeah. movie out of this story. Hopefully this was okay. Yeah. Like I said, this I was love a, this stuff. This was a last minute. This was really a last minute one for me. But when I started reading this last weekend, I'm like, holy crap. You know, like I've never heard of this. 
Yeah, no, I've never heard of it either. And it's just like a crazy... It did happen a long time ago, though, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like a, true crime tends to cover more recent stuff. But it's just but... such a crazy whodunit. Yeah. So, <laughs> who done all of it? Like, yeah. There's who, just so much. Yeah. Like, but ultimately, who killed Laura? Because mm-hmm. that's what started this whole snowball. Yeah. And I, I 100% believe the farmer when he says that she was not there the earlier, uh, the year before in fall. Yeah, I feel like in the winter you you still see farmers out doing stuff. There's yeah. things they still have to do to maintain their fields and prep for the coming planting season and things like that. So I I do find it very hard to believe he wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, 100%. Or even just people driving by. You know what I mean? Unless it was like way out in the middle of a farm field where there's no roads, but yeah, yeah. we didn't really get that description, I guess. No. I, I mean, there there is a map of where her body was found on that Reddit thread. I should put that Reddit thread into the the strangers in case people want to look at that. But yeah, it's put on the rabbit hole. Yeah, so there you go. There is the mystery of the death of Laura Snedeker. Wow. Hopefully, it was feasible for an episode. I thought it was, but I, I love so. I love this stuff too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna do some song. My two song picks, if that's okay. Yeah. This, they, yeah, we're only at an hour, so we have some time. Yeah, I knew this wasn't going to be a long one, and I thought about starting some of the weird stories about woods in Wisconsin, but I think I'm just going to save that for a whole episode, like about scary woods stories or something like that. Hey, do you have the pickle joke book with you? Uh, it's in. I can go get it. It's in the other room. Okay, because uh, I don't have a joke book with me, and I, I don't want to climb stairs. to. Okay, I will get it in a second. Okay. But I'm going to do two song picks. These have a common theme, as you're going to see. The first one isn't really a song. It's a collection of songs. I believe I've talked about this on the podcast. This one actually involves one of the uh, topics of an episode we did. It actually involves topics of two episodes we did in a weird way. So that's kind of cool. But this is... A compilation of the easy listening music from something called Sounds for the Supermarket from 1975. Nice. Yeah. I came across this, I think, last year, and I love this. I I really love this. So the video, the original video is no longer up. It got taken down due to copyright issues, but now somebody else has it back up. So the original video for the Songs of the Supermarket recording said quote grocery store music if you are looking for that classic supermarket jingle then look no further sounds for the supermarket was the title of a tape cassette produced by a minnesota-based communication company in 1975 it was available by mail purchase to supermarket vendors in the u.s and canada the music contained inaudible subliminal recordings that were intended to increase buyer purchasing at grocery stores (laughs) Customers were influenced to purchase more products as a result of the brainwave patterns hidden in the musical notes and sound compositions. Different subliminal tapes were also sold for purposes of advertising and social programming, and they all contained the titles, quote, sounds for the whatever. I've held on to this for about 25 years. Musically, the sounds are typical easy listening or elevator music. There is no information about the company nor the musicians anywhere that I could find. The label-slash-information has peeled away with time. Each side of the tape had 10 songs. All 20 songs are recorded here as 16 separate songs with two tracks bundled together on four of them. 
Songs 4 and 1 are very classic 70s easy listening. So somebody else in a comment said, So I found sounds for the supermarket today while it was used as a meme, but it doesn't seem to be a real album. I can't find a Discogs page or any pictures of the tape. The only official album info I can find is in the YouTube description. It seems to me that the original poster made a mixtape of 1980s music from the DeWolf Music Library. And that's what that's where this music came from. Uh, but what a lot of stuff revolves around is the very first track on this video. This is one that it's a track from a 1980 LP album called Sunny Jim from the DeWolf Music Publishing Company. It was composed by Carl Jenkins and performed by Take Six. And in the 21st century, this song became a popular track for use in gaming, replay videos, and memes. And when this first came out, a lot of people said they had a weird Mandela effect with this song, with this first song, the one called... uh, the one called I can't I can't remember what this one is actually called. But I was going to say something about Mandela effect when you said that the person couldn't find any evidence of the, <laughs> the yeah, tape or a yep, picture. Yeah, so it deals with subliminal messages kind of, and it deals with and the Mandela, Mandela effect. effect. That's fun. But the the uh, what is the name of this first song? Hey, hang on, let me look here. Is this the one that's called Sunny Jim? Okay. Uh, the name of the first song is actually called Mr. Lucky, and it's from the LP Sonny Jim from the DeWolf Music Library, composed by Carl Jenkins. This is the song that people are like, I'm nowhere near old enough to have heard this in a grocery store. I don't watch replay videos, but the moment I heard this song, it was like, a like I know this song because I was able to sing along with this, this hmm. instrumental track, but I have no idea where I would have heard this song. And that's how I, I think feel. It could have crept into commercials. And it very like well that. could have, but it's. I, I felt the same way the first time I heard the song. I'm like, wow, I know this song, you know. And then, the, even though the first YouTube video is gone, there was this long thread about people that are like. Some people said that this song is like some kind of weird brain virus or whatever. Like people were like theorizing <laughs> crazy stuff because they're like, I know this song. And then people said once they first heard this song, they were they weren't able to get it out of their head. Hmm. You know, so, it's not just like really similar to a different song that we would all know. You know not that I not that I know it, but this like that. Yeah, but I don't think it is. But this song is it's like elevator music. But once you hear this song, it like stays stuck in your head. So here are a couple comments. So the, the, this entire video that I'm posting has all of these songs, but the one that I'm kind of talking about is the very first song that shows up on there. It's a grocery store music song, and but it gets stuck in your head. So here are some comments from underneath this video. The first person writes, People joke about it a lot, but I deadass have this first song on a loop in the back of my head sometimes for spice. And somebody else writes, The first song has been on repeat for the last 10 years in my head. Why? I don't know, but it's there. And somebody else writes, I like this one. Somebody else writes, Feel the cold air on your face as you grab a half gallon of ice cream from the freezer. The fruits and vegetables are all laid out so nice. No need to worry about bags. The bagger will gladly double bag it if you ask for no extra charge. Catch up with the checkout lady's family while you write out a check. Take your time. No one is in a hurry. And then they said, I listen to this longer than I care to admit. Hmm. Somebody, well, I'm really curious to hear it. Somebody else writes, truly mesmerizing tunes. I'm not normally one to comment on music videos, but damn hell is this thing relaxing to listen to. 
Somebody else says, why do I feel like I have heard this before, even though this is wildly out of my age range? And somebody else, somebody else said, I have no doubt there are subliminal messages in here because when I listened to this, I came to and realized that I had taken everything out of my refrigerator and put it in grocery bags on my counter. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I love I, – I, I've downloaded this off YouTube, and I listen to this in my car quite a bit. So a lot of people say there's something weird about this. Other people have said they've analyzed it, and there are no subliminal messages. I mean, they went into, like, like Audacity and other, other software and said there are no subliminal messages on it. So people think that the original poster took all these songs, put them together, and claimed that they came from this tape called Sounds of the Supermarket from 1975. Hmm. So but, when you listen to it in your car, do you find yourself like involuntarily pulling into groceries? No, I, I don't, but it's like super <laughs> relaxing. And there's some songs on here I love. There's another one that's called, I can't remember what it's called, but people say, people say this one song literally makes them cry and it's become like a super important song. And they're just, there's no lyrics. It's just like elevator music. Hmm. So there's like a whole weird cult thing around this, these recordings, but I love them, you know? So maybe I'm brainwashed too and listen to them all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Color me intrigued. So that is my first one, The Sounds okay. of the Supermarket from 1975. And my second song is by a legendary band that I feel kind of doesn't get enough recognition as they should because I think a lot of people have an idea of what they're like, but they have a lot of like really good songs. And that is the band The Clash, and it is hmm. their song called Lost in the Supermarket. Hmm. It's a really, really good song. Uh, somebody... I was reading an article about it, and they said the song, the song's lyrics describe someone struggling to deal with an increasingly commercialized world and rampant consumerism, musing on branding, aspirational targeted advertising, and the not-so-special offers thrown at people while they shop for their necessities. So it's a song about loneliness and isolation and consumerism, but it's a really good song. The first time I ever heard it, I'm like, who sings this? And I never in a million years would have thought it was The Clash. Because it's not like punky, but it's it's just a right. really good song. It is the Clash's song, Lost in the Supermarket, and I will. I have... love that both of your songs. Yeah, that's why I supermarket. Yep, theme. that's why I had. That's why I went with the <laughs> theme on this one, and that that's that's it. The supermarket is the theme for these songs. So mm-hmm. I will have those posted in the group. Uh, do we do questions? Sure. Yeah, we got time. <laughs> okay. Two questions for today both by anonymous the first one what cryptid is the most underrated in your opinion underrated most underrated cryptid hmm. i hmm. don't know what i would say well i can't say bigfoot because he's overrated <laughs> underrated maybe chupacabra chupacabra is pretty underrated I think it's become kind of like a joke meme thing, a chupacabra. So I think it gets dismissed a lot. Like, oh, that's just a shaggy coyote or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, could, I can get on board with chupacabra. Yeah. What was that one that's just sad all the time and cries? <laughs> we talked about that. I know. What was was that the Idaho episode? No, I think it was like a Pennsylvania. Was it a Pennsylvania one? Yeah, it just cries a lot. Cryptid Shoot. that's sad and cries. <laughs> I think we did. Talk squonk. About that was Squonk. Yeah, that was Squonk. That yeah. was a, I'm going to go with Squonky because I adore Squonky. I want to hug Squonky. Squonky 
needs Squonky needs a hug. Squonky Squonky needs a hug. So he I am Yes, I'm going with Squonk because I want to hug him and tell him that it's okay. Cryptids it's are okay. people too. Yes. Yeah. He looks all these pictures of him. We look so sad. He's just <laughs> sitting in a puddle of his tears. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Squonk for that one. Okay. Uh the other question you are trusted with a blessed holy weapon used to fight evil. What type of weapon do you receive? Oh. A blessed holy weapon to used fight to fight evil. evil. What type of weapon? I know which one. The first one that popped in my head. Huh. You go first. A 100% a sword. That was the first one that popped in my head as a sword. Do you know a book is what popped into my head? Is that weird? No, because you could be like casting spells, like a, like yeah, like in in role playing games, somebody's always got a whole is holding a book when they're casting spells. That's no, true. that's not weird. I like the I like okay. book. I like the book idea. Books are knowledge. You yes. Know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm on board with that too. But I I the first thing that popped in my Mine's head was less a, violent. <laughs> yeah, but I think if you're fighting demons with a blessed weapon, I think it has to be a sword. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, that's that was definitely an off the off the wall kind of question. I wasn't it, expecting that. It was. We'll do I one like more. It. We'll do one more. Okay. Best show from the '90s that no one talks about anymore. Oh God, I'd have to like Google shows from the '90s. '90s shows. <laughs> We're both googling '90s shows. Uh... I was gonna say Quantum Leap, but people are talking about it again because there's gonna be a reboot of it. I was going to say, and I don't even know if it was a 90s show. Um, crap. What's it called? They they did The Wonder Years. Was that from the 90s? Yeah. Though, I think The Wonder Years was from the 90s. But it, they're doing a reboot of that, too. <laughs> There's Are like they? a new version of that. Yeah. Are they really? But I don't know if that counts. Um, from the 90s. The nanny. <laughs> I'm not gonna I've never watched. Nanny. I've never watched the nanny. I only know it was Fran Drescher and the guy that used to play Shane on Days of Our Lives. I mean, it's all good stuff. Like, who's the boss? Growing pains. They're not like underrated. Everybody watched those shows. Yeah, I'm looking through a big list of that. Oh, I found 190 shows that I love that people never talk about anymore. That's the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. Hmm. I don't think it, I've ever heard it. It was Seen so it. it was really good. It starred uh everybody's man crush, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. The Evil Dead guy? Oh, the Evil Dead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh the Adventures That's of Bruce Everybody's Man Crush. Oh god, yeah. Everybody loves Bruce Campbell. Oh, okay. One hundred percent. Like men? Yeah. He's Bruce Campbell. Why are you even <laughs> how are you even questioning that? <laughs> because I don't look at Bruce Campbell and think Hubba hubba. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. Um, <laughs> no, it was a really good show. It was uh, uh, it was described as a Western adventure comedy sci-fi show. And it, it sounds dumb, but it was a really, really good show. It was Bruce Campbell, and it's it's a Western, and this group, this gang kills his dad, so he becomes the sheriff to get you know to get revenge on his dad and it was a western but it was funny and it had this running theme where there were these things called orbs and you started to realize that the orbs were like a science fiction thing 
and it was like it kind of involved time travel too so it was actually a really really good hmm. show and, and you don't hear a lot about it anymore i've no i don't even know that i've ever heard of it so yeah it was a good show like i love that I don't know that I can come up with anything because all the stuff I watched were, was popular. And I mean, like Party of Five, like, yeah, I saw I Party totally of Five. I never show. watched Party of Five. I guess nobody talks about those shows anymore, but I mean, that's like all the shows. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find some shows that I think I don't think Harper's Island was from the 90s. Wasn't that from the 2000s? I think so. Yeah, I feel like I definitely that, was not living at my parents' house when that was. on. I, I feel like that was underrated, but that came out in. 2009 wow dang yeah. way later than we thought yeah but i'm gonna go with the adventures of briscoe county jr okay you can go with party of five because i don't really hear anything about party of five anymore no yeah i will i'll go with party five it was okay. a really good story okay so there there's a couple questions okay. do, you, do you want me to go get the pickle book yeah i think we need a, a okay. joke i will be right back okay okay are you ready for a random Pickle joke. Terrible, terrible pickle joke. Yes, I'm ready. I'm looking at some of the ones that you already saw. And each one is equally as bad as the one before it. Wow. Are you ready? I'm ready. You might have done these already. Here's two of them. Both suck. What do you do with a pickle when it's a year old? Um, I don't know. Wish it a happy birthday. Oh, come on. <laughs> What's green? It's just too obvious. There's not even like a play on no. words. What's green, then yellow, then green, then yellow, then green, then yellow? A sliced pickle? A pickle that moonlights as a banana. Oh, come Oh, my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> those are bad. No. Because no one in their right mind would ever come up with those. <laughs> I, I need this book out of my house. I do. Oh. It's evil. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, I wow. think I think that's all we got for today. Okay. And like I said, it's we're a not shorty, but a goodie. It's yeah, that's right. It's it's not about the length. It's about the 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 girth. <laughs> it's about the meatiness of the episode. <laughs> yeah. And this this episode, it was it was short, but it, it was very meaty. It was meaty. It was meaty. Totally meaty. And uh, we won't be on again for a little while, but the next episode will be a side sessions from last November. And uh, if you hear anything behind me, that's Narnia eating. So, <laughs> so I think, is there anything else we have to say? I don't think so. Oh, deets, the deets. Oh, I don't have the deets. They're not here. Well, dang. Wait, I think I do got them. Hang on. Let me whip this thing out. I feel out. like we should know them by now. Yeah, you would think, but yeah, that's not going to happen. Okay. E- yeah, well, this first one, I would have known. You can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the S. Krista does a bang-up job on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. You can send postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. And you can call our little lonely phone line at 920. It's like the squonk. Like our phone line is like the squonk of phone lines. The yep. 920-443-9602. Or it's that loneliest uh, picnic, uh, picnic table. table. It's like it's <laughs> like it's like it's like it's like squonk sitting at that lonely picnic table. That's oh, just, just so sadness. Sad. That is just yeah. sadness. <laughs> so I think that is all we have for today. Sorry it was a Skype one, and sorry it was a short one, but 
Life cons- happens. Consider it a palate cleanser before we do our missing 411 slash smiley face killers. Yes. You still you you buy into the smiley face killers thing, don't you? I do. And you know what's funny? There's another there's something really similar. Like there's another series of killings. It's not the smiley face. No, it's the one that um it's uh very similar name killing though. Brad's podcast just did one about that. Because they know who did it. It's yeah, like the Brad just did it. It wasn't the Smiley Face Killers. It was the Smiley something. Yeah, Brad. Yeah, Brad literally similar. just. Brad literally just an episode about that because I thought he was doing one about the Smiley Face Killers, and I was like, oh no, we're just gonna do that now. But I think it's a <laughs> no, different, it's different one. Yeah. Yeah, we Jim and I either watched. It's either on Netflix or Discovery Plus or one of those. We watched an episode about that, and I was like, "Ooh, the smiley face kill," but it was. It wasn't no, but there was (laughs) just that recent like eight part series or six part series about the smiley face killers and whether it's actually a thing. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that David Politis missing four one one book called "The Sobering Coincidence" is all about college age students that that disappeared and ended up dead in water and they think that Mm -hmm. they speculate that you know like chris and i are on opposite sides of the the spectrum on this one because i don't really except maybe once i start researching it then i'll come around because i sometimes do but Mm -hmm. i just don't think it's like an organized group of serial killers i think it's college kids being college kids but some of them are weird and i want to start reading david politis's book i want to see what he says about it so that will be in two episodes from now we will cover that and I think that's it. Cool. So from Krista's office room? Yep. Okay. In my office. I am sitting in my kitchen. Narnia is looking at me trying to figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> and I think that's it for today. So hopefully next time we record, we're together in person. Yes. Um Hopefully you're feeling better after your surgery. And I hope so. I hope so too. So from Krista and I in our separate locations until next time stay Stay strange strange. it's so hard to do this over skype because you and i are used to looking at each other in person when we do this so syncing it up yeah so until next time stay Stay strange strange. (laughs) bye guys (laughs) 